Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 17 of the Rugby Strength Coach podcast. Uh, I messed up the numbers last week, it was actually number 16 and not number 15, so this one is number 17. This is Keir from RugbyStrengthCoach.com. Um, today's podcast is actually going to be a little bit of a change of direction. It's not going to be me interviewing a guest uh, from elite or professional sport like normal. Instead, what it is going to be is a recording of a, a consultation call that I did with another strength and conditioning coach called Sai Wiggle from um, Oxford University. Sai is responsible for the, the physical prep of Oxford University's um, varsity rugby union squad. And he got in contact with me recently to uh, send me an email asking me some questions about how, he th- how I thought he should um, arrange the, the preparation that Oxford are going to be doing for this year's varsity match in December. They're shooting to be the first team in 130 years to, to do six varsities in a row. So obviously it's a massive deal for those guys. And um, I thought it would be a good opportunity to, to uh, hopefully help Sai out a little bit. He's a member of the community that we have on Rugby Strength Coach to um, hopefully help him out and, and maybe hopefully help uh, people listening to this as well and, and maybe give you a little bit of insight into the thought process that I have um, when I work with myself and, and when I also work with a consulting client either online or, or in person. Um, so I've, I've, I've kind of alluded to that. Um, this is my shameless plug. If you ever do want to, uh, do any consulting with me, um, in person or online, please feel free to get in contact with me. That's always an option. Um, likewise, any mentions, um, throughout this talk made to the webinars or the communities online. Um, if you'd like to get access to that information, all of those monthly videos that we host, it's just, uh, rugbystrengthcoach.com slash members. If you sign up there, you'll get access to, to all of those webinar presentations, all of the videos, all of the ebooks that I've produced so far, um, plus all of the, the future webinars and access to the forum as well. Uh, so without further ado, here is the consultation call. I hope you enjoy it. And until next time, thanks very much. Cool. So if you just crack on, kind of tell me the situation and um, yep. then we can go from there. Awesome. Okay, so man, we've got um, 15 weeks until varsity. Um, first, so weeks 15 and 14 out, we've got uh, a camp in Oxford, um, and then we're off to North Wales for a week. Cool. Uh, we, we then have uh, the University Rugby World Cup uh, 13 weeks out. Cool. Um, so within that, there are two pool games, which are 40 minutes long. And then there are three knockouts, which are um, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. So depending on how we get on, obviously. <laughs> is that um, 40 minutes again or is that 80? And hi, they're all 40. So. Okay. Um, first, uh, we're playing uh, Wasada, and then we've got Cape Town. Um, New Zealand doing a different pool to us. Um, so yeah, so that's thirteen weeks out. Cool. And then from t- yeah, from twelve weeks on, we've uh, we've got three weeks of no games. Cool. And then nine weeks out, we've got a game every week. Um, what kind of level of opposition are they? Oh man, so we're playing Worcester, Leicester. Um, we have we're playing Queensland. So obviously Worcester and Leicester will be there. Eighteen. Yep. Um, we're playing the Croatian national team. Okay. Um, mix it up. <laughs> got, yeah, right. Complete mix. Um, we've got Bristol. 
Um, we've got a major Stanley's, which is like a select 15 from like all sorts of players uh, that have been passed. And we get, you know, it's like a select team that have, that's brought in specially. Yeah. So we could have, you know, you could have anyone hidden in there. Cool. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, and then we've got Escher uh, two weeks out. So. so you've got one game two weeks out, and then you've got a week three before Varsity, and then you've got the week of uh, Varsity. No, and so our... So, for instance, Escher is on the Sunday, and then we have four days in before the varsity game. Oh, okay. Cool, okay, all right. Who scheduled that? <laughs> uh, this is probably Wadey. <laughs> I have to bleep out Wadey's name. No, that's all right. He can get sprayed on the podcast. <laughs> just in case. I'll just check that, make sure I haven't fucked it up. So, yeah. uh, oh, hang on, that's uh, the 29th. No, I think that's on the 29th, so that's two weeks. Oh, okay, so you've got, you've got 10, 11 days. Yeah, shit, sorry, man. Yeah, we've got two oh, weeks Oh, okay, out. cool. That's bad. Yeah. <laughs> okay, right. So, you've kind of... How, how important would you say the, the, the University World Cup is? For the, for the team, it was important. You know, it's important to put a good display in. It would be, not, it would be, it would be nice to win, but it's not essential. There's no point in putting everything in it and losing varsity. Yeah, if you win six varsities in a row and get knocked out in the group stages of the World Cup, that's a lot better than if you win that and then lose the varsity, right? Exactly. Okay. Um, considering, considering, yeah, it's the sixth, the only time that yeah, either team in 133 years could win six times in a row, so it's quite a big deal. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So, um, when when the guys come in and you you get your first look at the guys, that's like so if we're kind of counting the weeks down from 16, 15, and so on. Week 16 yep. is the first time that you're going to see those guys, right? Absolutely, man, yeah. Okay, so what kind of, what kind of base of, of preparation are they going to be coming um, to you with? Man, this, this, is, this is the fun bit. So I've got some guys that have been training three days, three times a day. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay, like doing a bit of yoga and all that. And then I've got some guys that are med students working up in London, working 16-hour days that can only train 45 minutes three times, three times a week. Got you. Okay. So there is, mate, you know, it's literally, some of them have been traveling for like seven, eight weeks. Um, Enjoying themselves. Yeah, man, absolutely. Okay. So I have, I have a huge spread of fitness, strength, you know, size, ability, and where we're working from. Okay. Well... The the you got the five minute run scheduled on the first day, which obviously yep. you can consider that a useful test because it's going to give you the info that you need to program for their energy system stuff in terms of the yep. MAS. So that's um, okay. It's not too much of a a big drain on CNS resources, and you've got one, two, three, four, five days after that, you've got your speed stuff. Yeah, I would say with the speed stuff, if you're doing a forty meter sprint. You're going to be having guys get up to uh, top speed or very close to, to top speed, which yep. you could consider it uh, somewhat risky because um, you'll have guys that um, you know mechanically have no business doing that, or you have guys that are less prepared. Um, yep. And generally speaking, you'd probably want to leave your uh, most CNS intensive tests until later, as, as late as you can into the prep if you're going to do that. Okay, cool. Um, and, and also, I would say, you know, question 
just how um, useful that information is going to be to you in terms of programming the prep and actually changing what your plan of attack would be once you get that information. Okay, mate. So, yep. you know, if, if you consider that the plan without having all that speed data is, is that you want every player to be as fast as possible over 5, 10, and 40 meters, finding out just how fast or slow they are is not really going to change that, um, that plan. Yeah. And to an extent as well, it's not going to make, you know, you're not going to say, right, you're not going to play varsity because you can't run a, a, a 40 in less than five seconds. For sure, yeah. So when you bear in mind that you're in, you have limited time to, to implement your plan, um, yeah. I would say try and include only the things that you think are going to give you information to program and or change yeah. the plan of attack. So if you're, if you're short of time, I would say uh, pull that. Likewise, okay. with the with the RFU anaerobic test, yeah, um, I think there's there's a lot of different factors going on there that can determine performance. Yeah, um, and I sometimes wonder what kind of level of detail that that RFU test allows you to to get into and and kind of assess uh, an athlete's needs. So if we just kind of think out loud, like what are the limiting factors that can affect an athlete's performance in in a work capacity test. So it might be how well de- developed their aerobic base is. It might be how big their anaerobic capacity is. It might be yep. how efficiently they, you know, accelerate, decelerate, change direction. It might be their CNS uh, capacity to tolerate fatigue. And it might be, you know, just like movement strategies. You always get that one guy that will go out and spunk it all on the first rep of the RFU shuttle test <laughs> and then dies a death for the rest of the test. And you think, well, what, what happened there? And those are all factors that are going to determine performance. And I think to an extent you have to say, how well does that test allow me to, to find out those details? And once again, are you going to use that test to program what's going to come? And is it really going to change your plan of attack? Right. So um, maybe you could get those answers by looking at heart rate data, by doing it alongside that. But I'm guessing that you've got a small team and you don't necessarily want to be pouring over data in the middle of you know, what is a camp basically, even though you're in Oxford, it's a camp. So, um, you, you could probably make the case to, to just pull all of those tests and then bring the upper body gym testing forward by a day. Yep. Um, you've got an upper body testing session on the 31st, which is the two days before you do the upper body testing. If I were you, I would just pick one or two key exercises that you're going to program as your primary exercises Yep. Use the first part of the session to test for those and then perform the remainder of the upper body session with reduced volume at the end of it. Nice one. So then it's, it's not quite as much of an interruption um, to, to the weekly schedule as it could be. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, nice. I think you've, done, um, or you've made the right decision in terms of testing lower body um, as late as possible into that, that. I think it's nearly two weeks that you've got together. Um, yeah. But again, you, you've scheduled a lower body session the day before they're going to test. So you, you could say, well, the numbers you're going to get in those tests anyway aren't going to be as accurate as they could be because they're going to be carrying fatigue from the lower body session on the third for the test on the fourth. So I'd say, again, if you can, um, schedule those, those or combine those two elements on the same day. Start with the test and finish with the accessory stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then that would give you, so if you would do, you would give you your first upper body weight session and test on the 31st you could lift lower body testing on the second and then that would give you the fourth to do another upper body or a whole body session so already you've, you've kind of you've bought yourself another day's training 
because um, you know to me the difference between testing and training is that training actually improves you and testing just gives you information so yes. I, would, I would say that's probably a good idea to try and to try and get that in um, you, you've you've got rugby in there um, straight from the get-go and that's that's kind of like the situation that we had with with Argentina this year where the emphasis is on preparation at the same time that you're trying to perform on the field. So because of the World Cup, the Rugby Championship got brought, brought forward this year. So in, in effect, we were trying to prepare for the World Cup whilst at the same time not, got, not get our pants pulled down in the Rugby Championship. And you kind of alluded <laughs> to it before we got like on the call. You, you have to weigh up against one another the, the physical advantages of, of preparing optimally for the big one versus yep. the psychological cost of, of playing worse that you're going to have to pay if you do that. And to me, that's kind of like the situation that Wales were in um, against Ireland the other week. Like, from by the sounds of it, they've not had much actual rugby work and yep. they, they paid a price on the field. But I think as a result, they're going to be a lot better physically at the World Cup than if they had focused on rugby from day one. Um, so I think there's a few different ways that you can, you can look at that. One is to say, well, you, you don't, necessarily want rugby um from the get-go and you know whatever happens in the the two weeks afterwards it happens and you you keep your eyes on the prize of varsity but to do that i think you need you need a a really psychologically robust group that can handle playing badly for a few weeks or or playing below their best for a few weeks um the other one at the other extreme is just like focus on rugby from the get-go but then obviously you're going to pay a physical price for that which that would be a rugby coach's suggestion. You're not a rugby coach. So I think yep. what you have to do in the middle is is what we attempted to do. And it's it's quite difficult to do. And that is um, trying to prepare as much as you can with the intensities and the volumes that you need to adapt. But at the same time, try and play half decent. So, you know, we've, I think you and I have spoken before via email and, and like on the community and stuff like you're going to identify within your plan intensities and volumes of work for specific physical qualities that you think are going to develop that ability and give you the, the most adaptation. And then, yeah, yeah. you know, you're going to reduce that right down, 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 down until you identify the amount that you think is going to retain that ability. So, you know, to give you an example of the speed, I always think if you're training accelerations or fly-ins, you can go as high as eight to 10 reps of like a hundred percent effort to develop that ability, but then to, to retain it, it might just be one or two. Yeah. Um, so in the middle, you could say, well, if you look at, for example, strength, Prolepin's table, you might drop down to the lowest volume range for a given ability. So for example, in the week that we played New Zealand and, uh, Australia, we were still training above 90% of one RM. I didn't want to do it and it made me cringe to do it, but, we still got in that work above that that percentage range, but we we did like two sets of two, or you know, yeah, yeah. hardly anything, but enough to hopefully try and develop it. Um, so there's that. Um, looking at kind of your your daily organisation of things, I'm am I right in thinking that you've got like a high low template where you're training more kind of high CNS stress elements on certain days and lower ones on other days. Yeah, this is this is what I've um, been reading up. Obviously, your stuff on uh, on on it, and obviously um, the Charlie Francis stuff. That I was go- I was going to try and implement that 
obviously once I sort of locked in with all of the way that we're training is very sporadic. There isn't like a set. We don't have anything set. I don't think throughout any of the months where we can with, with like the actual rugby training. So I, I did want to run uh, a high, low training, yep. uh, but I think it's it, it will take a, you know, quite a lot of juggling to actually get it in. Cool. And just, have, I think I'd have to be quite careful on the volumes on certain weeks potentially because of the way that, our fixtures and our training and all the other yeah. stuff that we have going on is is, is fixtured. So, so obviously, the... as you know, as the field stuff goes up in intensity and volume, the gym stuff has to come down. Yeah. Um. You know, so is it on the weeks that you're training rugby? Is it right that you're just going to be basically doing rugby every single day, more or less? Yes, it will be. I spoke, uh, spoke to the coach, and uh, he was just. It, it will be mainly yeah, rugby. Um, and the con- the way he we spoke this morning, he viewed it as that he'll view if he from his experience of the past, you know, five six years, if they're not getting, if they're not being able to achieve what has been used to in the past, he'll then you know separate more fitness time. Yeah. So um, I think what you what I would suggest you need to try and do is first of all, within the terms of your own plan is identify which elements you think are going to be the high CNS stuff. So we're yep. basically talking about stuff, which is, um, maximal speed, strength and power, um, yep. really intense conditioning, uh, stuff like that. And then on the low days, obviously is going to be, um, more kind of like bodybuilding beach nightclub weights, um, less <laughs> intense conditioning, any rehab, prehab, any of that kind of corrective stuff that you want to do. Um, yep. Get that set up in your own week in terms of, of what's going to be high and what's going to be low and, and obviously plan accordingly. High, low, yep. high, low, high, low or uh, low, high, low, low, high, low, low. So you just, you're separating the high days by at least 48 to 72 hours. The, it, the problem yep. is obviously that once you decide, you know, this is going to be a high day for me or a low day for me, the rugby coaches can fuck it all by flogging the guys. So then I think we have to do is you have to look at each element of the rugby prep and try and identify what each element of the practice looks like on a high day and what each element looks like on a low day. Yeah. So that then you can go to the coach, obviously cap in hand and ask him nicely, but on the days that you've planned as a low day, can he modify the practice to make it look more like a low day? So, for example, yeah. if you're doing scrum practice, a high day is a full eight versus eight, maximal effort, straining as hard as you can. Whereas on a low day, it might be that you're working body position and timing of the push only, and you're not competing and it's not full strain, or you're working uh, three versus three or five versus five, and obviously the effort's not there as much, and there's more of a technical emphasis. Okay, or for yeah. example, in field practice... You could say that a high day looks like, you know, high intensity blocks of fitness combined with with rugby. It's 15 versus 15. There's an element of contact. Whereas on a low day, it might be that it's more of a a skill emphasis, where he's blowing the whistle a lot, stopping the guys talking, analysing, and so on. And there's it's more of a a cerebral lower intensity session where you're kind of developing skills and then expressing them and and perfecting them in a high intensity environment on the high days. Yeah. Um, so I think once you've once you've sorted out all those elements with him, and obviously the, the key to that is selling him on understanding that it's in his interest to hopefully try and follow that. Obviously, I'm, yeah, 
you know, if I could, I've not done that perfectly yet. That's still something that I need to do with mine is like make the rugby coaches understand that I'm trying to help you and you can yeah. help me. Um, but yeah, once, once you've done that, I think you can have a better idea of how you're going to structure the week. Uh, one thing that I think you do need to do is from my experience, as the, the rugby workload comes up, the more you yep. need to be using, um, the the practice itself to stimulate development of, of the energy systems or work capacity just because yeah. putting even more on top whilst there's a lot of rugby it's just going to flog them uh, I also think as well once you get to um, lots of rugby you need to be trying to train even more those elements which the, the practice doesn't stimulate itself because you've, you've got so few opportunities so you know for example what what are the things that rugby practice is can train by itself one is fitness because obviously people call it match fitness there's no such thing as match speed though like you're never going to train maximal speed in a rugby practice so i think that's one thing that has to stay in like likewise you know like axel decel there's a lot of that in rugby so i'm i'm almost content to coach that less um, when rugby's high and then concentrate more on the kind of the the higher speed stuff for example you know like maximal strength yeah Um, what about a lactic in, it would be a, well, I guess a lactic would be quite a good crossover in the actual training itself. Yeah, it's. Yeah. I think it all depends on how well you're able to manage um, the work rest distribution of the practice and also manage the the intensity of what they're doing. Um, if you can control that quite well, then you know by all means, um, go ahead and do it. Um, and then kind of thinking. Uh, bigger picture of everything like how how the weeks are going to flow from from one another like i with our guys we we kind of program it in four blocks like i've i've yep. written a little bit about that um on the community and stuff so I, I don't know how much you've seen it but, but basically kind of working backwards um if you kind of think that the the big deciding factor about how well you guys are going to perform and whether you, whether or not you're going to win the varsity is going to be directly related to their ability to execute the, the technical and tactical plan that the coach has got. And it's going to be all about how can they take the, the physical, um, te- technical, tactical, psychological abilities that they have and use them in the most efficient manner possible to win. So that means that really you're not going to be able to spend a lot of time uh, training to improve that because you're going to be too busy trying to learn how to use it. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of the training, you know, the last, those last 11 days, probably the last two or three weeks before varsity, you are not going to be stressing them a whole lot. They should be calm yeah. as Hindu cows. Um, <laughs> just Man, those cows are calm as well. Indeed, yeah. So it's just going to be, the volume is going to come right down. You're going to maintain the intensity, obviously, because that dictates adaptation, but you might be able to drop yep. the frequency if you want. And it needs to be all about serving what happens on the rugby field. Moving back one, one phase from that, uh, from a physical perspective, what you have to be doing in that phase is developing all of those things that we've mentioned. So all of the things that make a player really, really good in his or her position. So there's going to be a limited number of physical qualities that you're going to direct your effort towards. So for example, if it's a winger, it's going to be loads of um, maximal velocity, loads of yep. change of direction ability, maybe a vertical jump to, to grab the high ball. And then right at the other end of the spectrum, if you're a prop, you know, you're just going to be concerned with limit and isometric strength, pushing horizontally, lifting in the line out and just generally being good at pushing. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, likewise in terms of the energy systems, it's, it's all about their ability to repeat high intensity efforts. 
with the greatest intensity and, and frequency and repeatability. Yeah. And then if you go back another phase, even more, you're going you're gonna to come to the conclusion, I hope, that those abilities that we've just mentioned, there's going to be some general outputs which underpin their ability to perform in those key areas. And all we're talking yeah. about really is maximal speed, strength, and power. Yeah. So that is, you know, your kind of phase two or our phase two is where we really, really concentrate on developing those general outputs. We're not necessarily as worried about applying them. We're not necessarily about worry. We're not necessarily worried about developing, you know, this position needs this ability. We just want guys who are going to be as big, strong, fast as possible, um, which is obviously where most programs finish. But that's kind of in the middle for us. So that's when you're going to be concentrating on um, doing accelerations uh, as, as hard as you can maximal sprints at top speed maybe some yeah. special endurance stuff where you're sprinting you know 60 meters or more for certain positions yeah loads of power output stuff in just general exercises olympic lifts if you want to use them uh, jump nah. squats bench press throws push jerks all that stuff and then in terms of strength just get strong in general lifts um, cool yeah yeah and then the the phase before phase one is basically uh you know that to be training max speed, max strength, max power, all that stuff, you are going to incur a, a reasonably high risk of injury. That's the stuff that hurts people. And to do that, you have to earn the right physically and technically and in terms of your work capacity to be able to do that. So all you're doing yeah. in phase one is trying to earn the right to train with, with maximal intensity. So you're going to be looking more at work capacity. So getting in a higher volume of work, you're going to be looking at addressing injury risk factors. That phase one, if you're going to be... If you've decided that you're an FMS guy, for example, that's where you're going to be working on your mobility, stability, motor control, learning how to move, um, all that stuff, and just generally working up to the kind of intensities that you're going to be using in, in phase two. Yep. Um, there's no kind of fixed limit that you're going to um, be using in terms of time for each phase, but generally speaking, the less prepared um, your athletes are the longer that you're going to want to work on general preparation which would, would normally be like your phase one and two yeah, and then yeah. the kind of real specific preparation would be phase three phase four cool. so looking at your competition calendar yep. you've obviously got the, those 11 days before you play the varsity I think that would be a good kind of phase four where just do nothing but worry about rugby um, you could probably cool. extend that back to the beginning of the week against Isha so you, okay. could, you could treat that as, um, oh, you've got a game on the Tuesday as well. That's cool. Okay, so starting on that, that week of the 23rd of, is it December? November. Uh, uh, November, man, yeah. Treat that as a start of your phase four because then that gives you two games to treat as a dress rehearsal and then work out all of the, uh, all of the shit ready for varsity. <laughs> yeah. And then obviously varsity is the big one. Yeah, man, yeah. So working backwards from there, your phase Three is probably going to be, that gives us how many weeks? That gives us like 14, 13 weeks. So you could probably do, I'd say three weeks of your phase three, four weeks of your phase two, and six weeks of your phase one. Because it's always better to lean on the side of, of general preparation, especially when, yep. I, well, in your situation, I think, because you've got... Um, uh, you've got some young athletes, you've got some unprepared athletes, and you've got athletes yep. who might not necessarily be living the the most Spartan of lifestyles as students and stuff like that. And obviously, they've got other other concerns. Oh, and most I definitely. Think, yeah. yeah. 
And I think until you get to that situation where general training ceases to be productive, um, you know, you, you don't need anything more specific. Um, so I think that gives you, so one, two, three, four, five, six, you're not really going to be doing maximal strength until you get back from Croatia. So I think you can use that Croatia week as yep. kind of like your really concentrate on max strength because you, you've got no games in Croatia. Oh, no, you are in Croatia. You're playing a game. Yeah, okay, just, so, just it's a national team, yeah. Okay, so you're going to be playing games the whole way through. So I think what you have to do is is try and adopt that model that we talked about, which is sticking to the intensities that you need to adapt in the manner that you want, but yep. really just dropping the volume down to the bare minimum. And... Um, you know, I listened to a podcast again last night from um, Jay, who obviously did the presentation a couple of months ago. And he said, like, how do you know you've done too much until you've done too little? Yeah. So, like, he, he uses one set to failure for his accessory exercises. And I think, well, for, sorry, for all of his gym exercises of the first year. So I, like, really, really, really pull back. Um, like us, we've only done, we've done some sessions where the accessories have been uh, two sets. Right, yeah, yeah. Two sets of three exercises and see you later. <laughs> so it's, it's one of those things, though, where you have to be, like, super confident because obviously you don't want to yeah, get bro. nervous and start throwing more at the boys. So I think that's probably – obviously, there's room to tweak it, but I think that would be a good model for you. Yeah, nice, kid, nice. Um, what I more did I say? Okay, so as well, just use – think about trying to use your field sessions – and think about trying to use your games uh, more and more as you get closer to varsity as ways to combine training elements because that's one of the things like training is going to start out really isolated in terms of what you're doing and then as you get closer and closer to competition you're trying to integrate all of the elements together because that's most representative of competition so it might be that you know let's say that you're doing uh you're, tra- you're training them in terms of grapple technique or skills in contact, which is one area where you know most teams probably should do more. We definitely need yeah. to do more. It might be that you're just doing that as a session by itself in block one, and you're concentrating on the technique. It might be that you're in phase two, you know, getting into full kind of contact, essentially fighting. In phase yeah. three, it will be <laughs> you're going to do that on the pitch in some some aspects of. Um, let's say, you know, drills, closed drills, open drills, but separate parts of the practice. And then yep. in phase four, it might be that, you know, you have a 10-minute block within the context of your practice where there, it's a game with permutations for, for training um, contact. Yeah, yeah. Or, for example, with your conditioning, it might be that you, you have a separate block of conditioning um, in phase one. When you get to phase two, it's a separate block within the rugby practice itself. When yep. you get into phase three, it might be you know, a, a game or a permutation, a small-sided game, and then you get into phase four, and you're not even thinking about it because you, you're concentrating so much on rugby. Yeah, it's just a complete funnel, I guess, funnel all the way down. Absolutely. You know, that's, yeah. I think that's what, uh, definitely what we're trying to aim for. And uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes for us, eh? Yeah, mate, definitely, man, definitely. Uh, it's, obviously, it's doing, uh, well, against the Saffers uh, a couple of weeks ago, it did you well. Yeah, but I didn't work the week after it. <laughs> uh, that's a good. I mean, that was a great win. Yeah, we're getting there. Um, Absolutely. So, I mean, in terms of, you know, that's kind of talking about what you're going to do in terms yep. of uh, how you're going to adapt it and decide when they're ready to train. What kind of things are you using to decide readiness or 
how adaptable the plan is? What what have I decided? Yeah. Um, that's that's another well, one of the questions I'm really going to ask you. Um, what be the you know good um, good not predictors, but you know yeah, good ways of measuring that or um, yeah. Well, I think you need something that's going to be quick because is, yeah. is it just you or have you got assistance? Uh, I, so there's three teams and there's the Blues, the Whippets and the Greyhounds and that would just be me with the Blues. So okay, it's cool. just myself. Okay, so you need something that's going to be quick. Yeah. Uh, you need something that's not going to be a lot of data. And I'm guessing if you're anything like us, it needs to be cheap and it needs to be portable because you're, you're all over the shop. Yeah. We use a standing broad jump. If you've got a jump mat, you can use an RSI or a, or a vertical jump or something similar like that. Or if you've got a gym aware, you can use... Um, you know, the, the, the jump assessment on that. Um, we've been using percentages of best. So just, it's really basic, probably too basic. If you're within 95% of your best ever score, you qualify for yep. high intensity. If you're within 90 to 95%, you qualify for medium. And if you're below 90, uh, we hold your hand and tell you it's going to be all right until you recover. <laughs> um, and you do a lot of walking as well. A lot of walking on treadmills, but um, once you've got that test, then yep. you, I think you need to kind of say, well, if somebody comes in and in, oh, I sh- sorry, I should say the direction that we want to take it in is obviously standard deviations because um, having one amazing day it can really throw off the scores and, and fuck you long term for them being qualified for high or low intensity training. So yeah, yeah. I think what I want to do is, is take it to a rolling average where we look at changes from the norm in terms of standard deviation but um it, we're not good at doing that yet we need to get better at doing it okay man so you know with the with the percentages we got our injuries down 50 percent in a year nice and you know we're we're still improving physically not as you know never as fast as we want to be but we're still improving so it definitely works to an extent i don't know how well but it's working so once you've done that you need to kind of say what does high intensity training look like? What does medium intensity training look like? What does a low day look like? Yeah. You know, if somebody comes in on a low day and uh, they've got low readiness, well, it doesn't really matter. I'd still take the measurements on a low day because that's going to tell you what was the effect physically of what you did the day before. Yeah, yeah. And it's going to give you an idea of what was the effect physically of the game uh, that you've just played. And the reason I say that is because we've, I, I have worked with players in the past where you know, especially high output guys. Like we had a guy that he was 127 kilos, but his broad jump was like two eight, which is, it's pretty decent. And he just died at the weekends. So by looking at his jumps and looking at how he responded to games, we realized that he could only do one high day a week. So just like taking that data, gives right, you a little yeah, bit yeah. of an idea. Whereas like some guys will come in after the weekend and they'll jump and it's, it's not like they've even played. So just yeah, trying right. to get an idea of how they are, but, you know, for us, we've already we've always worked on if you come in and you're, you're high readiness, you qualify for whatever we're going to throw at you that day. If you yep. come in and you're medium, medium readiness, you're going to do what everyone else does, but we're going to try and modify it to some extent. So, for example, uh, if we've programmed for maximal speed, strength, and power, and you come in and you're medium readiness, it might be that you do tempo rather than do full effort sprints. Or it gotcha. might be that you do extensive plyometrics and med ball throws rather than intensive and yes. it might be that rather than working in that seventy, sorry, in that eighty-five to one hundred percent of one RM, you're going to work at seventy to eighty-five. 
Nice. And like then, it. you know, like I said, in terms of the low day, you, you should just really be doing what you can to get guys back into condition to do high intensity. Um, uh, with, if I think if you're managing the load correctly, you should have guys coming in with high readiness on the on the days where you need them to do high work. Yep. And then you should be giving them just enough training or just enough dosage of training to drop down to medium readiness the next day. I, I think if you're getting a lot of guys with low readiness, that's indicative of um, probably too much stress in terms of training and or the match. Matches you can't do anything about, but like, you know, for us, whenever we play New Zealand, the jumps just drop off the face of the earth and we have to ease up a little bit, which is, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, I would say as well, if you're going to use it, use something for a, a good few weeks, get the guys used to it and then yep. start to use the information that it's giving you. But you've, you've got plenty of time to, to start making some informed decisions with it, I think. Most definitely. And then I would say try and get an idea of how much training that they're doing just throughout all the different elements, just something general like a training impulse, um, which obviously Pierre talked about in the webinar month two, I think it was. Because you know, you've got all these different elements of training, but you've only got one stress response. They've only got one ability to tolerate physical activity and you need to be keeping tabs on it um, just in terms of the total impulse. And I would say in terms of minutes, try not to bump them up more than 10% a week because it's those big spikes that bite you in the ass. Um, And also in terms of the impulse, don't, don't jump it up too, too massively. And, you know, on the flip side of that, if you do have athletes that are going to be away from you for a decent amount of time, don't let them get too low because what will happen is, is when you do get back into normal training, they've, they've slipped off the pace and what was normal has become a massive jump up. And I think then you might see some problems in terms of um, uh, them not being able to tolerate the load as they used to. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I take it that would be taking into consideration, obviously, their, their studies their studies as well. So through an exam period. Hell drop, yeah. Did you see that study from Brian Mann recently? No. Okay, so Brian Mann, I think he's training women's basketball, University of Missouri. Yeah. Likelihood of a non-contact injury during preseason was two to three times higher than normal. Yeah. Uh, likelihood of uh, non-contact injury during um, exam period two to three times higher than normal likelihood of a non-contact injury during exam period and if you've been brought up from the bench to start which is a high stress situation I think it was something like 14 times higher (laughs) yeah so I think as well you know you can do it in a questionnaire format or you can just do it in, in you know having a conversation with your athletes yeah. get an idea of how they're feeling mentally because definitely that's going to dictate what they can tolerate physically because you know Jay's talked about it a lot before his basketball players he said they can be sleeping like crap they can be eating like crap they can be stressed and so on but if they've gone out and had sex the night before they feel like Superman and you can throw whatever you want at them Yeah, right. and that's just because you know mentally they're not stressed whereas yeah. it's definitely something you need to consider um, was that a- or consider uh, consider getting them laid more often. Absolutely, he he prescribes it as a recovery method. <laughs> I'll have to talk to the netball, uh, the girls' netball and hockey teams, and see what we can do. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, um, just trying to think, like that's that's probably good kind of big picture stuff. I mean, have you got any other like specific questions about that you're wondering about the prep? Um. Yeah. Just to, there was. Oh, let's try and find them now. So, 
yeah, obviously there's, you know, the, there's so many different ways I've been, uh, of, of bringing their, their training in. I was looking at sort of wave loading by uh, Dan Baker, um, the tier system, and obviously Brian Mann's APRE method. Yeah. And I was wondering, you know, what your recommendations, because I think you use the APRE system you spoke about in your podcast once, and you said you found it, um, you know, very helpful. Um, but out of the, you know, out of the ones that you've come across, what you would recommend with the scenario that I'm in, yeah. that, you know, I may not, I may not get to the guys every day um, because it's a, you know, obviously it's a part-time place that I have, but uh, you know, which one you would recommend maybe implementing? Yeah. I think the, the thing about APRE is, is like he, he wrote in the book. The great thing about it is, is it's almost idiot proof because it's anytime you have like an auto regulatory element built into it, if you smash it one week because it was too light, you're going to go up a lot of weight the next week and you, you're pretty much sooner or later going to find the optimal load for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. One thing I think you would have to be careful with in a rugby environment, and this is the reason we didn't do it this year, is because it's a maximal program. So to that end, it's a, it's a developmental program and I don't yeah. necessarily think it's going to fit as well uh, during a heavy competition schedule. Or where you've got a lot of rugby going on. Like, yeah. I, I need to check the book or I need to ask him, but I get the impression that that was a pre-season program done with uh, his athletes. But okay. it works really, really well. But looking at it, you've got games from pretty much from the get-go every week. Yeah, every week. Yeah. And you've got a lot of games. Yeah. Um, looking at um, the, you know, the wave stuff that Dan Baker uses, it's not like some people do waves where it's like you go up, then you go down, then you go up again, and then you start the wave again. The one I think the one that he's got is six four two five three one, which is just you know it makes sense. You're going to progress. Yeah. The, you're going to progress the intensity from week to week. Looking at the research and from what people like Mark McLaughlin have said, you can't really push maximal weights for three three weeks in a row. So it makes sense to to take a little break, step backwards, and then progress again all the way down. Graham Morris, no. who's on the community, mate of mine, yep. works with Newtown. He has had really, really good results of using Dan Baker's um, wave loading with his guys. Like it's like it's almost like an embarrassment if you don't have a double bodyweight squat in his team, which is <laughs> that's pretty good. I'd take it. He's like his guys are stronger than our guys. Uh, different situation to an extent, but like his team are really, really strong, and he loves yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And then the other one was the tier stuff. Um, I think the tier stuff. It, I think it depends how you're going to tailor it to your situation. I think it's a little bit different again because Joe Ken's developed it with American football in mind, and American football is a ridiculously long off season. Yeah. Um, he, I think the way he does it is like he has whole body, upper body, lower body, um, high, medium, low intensity, and he, he programs in terms of that. Like we, we pretty much focus on um, uh, upper body and lower body sessions. Or yep. we'll focus on squat, bench, deadlift. Or yep. if we have two days a week, we'll go squat and chin up one day, deadlift and bench the other day. Um, I think you have to kind of try and tailor it to the context of what you're trying to do. Uh, I think if you're in season, if you've got games, we t normally go um, game day minus two days is upper body. Game day minus four days is lower body. I've used it with teams in, in the past before. They would do a little bit of lower body two days before a game. And make it yep. optional, but to me, it, the risk that you incur of them feeling sore and or tired 
outweighs so much more the, the potential benefit you might get from doing a couple of sets on, on the gotcha. Thursday. So we, we go lower body Tuesday, upper body Thursday. Um, those kind of whole like priming sessions I don't like just because right. I think um, the research is still not really conclusive. I think as well, if you are training with high CNS elements, you're creating an element of fatigue. Yeah. It's just a fact you're creating fatigue and I'm not sure whether the cost of taking that fatigue into the game the day before a game is going to be outweighed by the potential benefit that nobody's really sure you get um, in terms of performance. And really the ultimate determinant of performance is going to be psychological factors, tactics and, and technique. So, you know, I'm, I'm not convinced by it. I don't do it. But if you wanted to do it, that would be, you know, people normally do it on a Friday uh, yeah. for a Saturday game. Um and then what's it? You know, tier system. No, that was all of them. So that's it, man. Yeah. Um, no, that's that's pretty much it, Kim. I mean, say pretty new new to the whole world of S and C. So you know, uh, any any light that you shed is is huge. Psychology, mate. Really, <laughs> if <laughs> you can have the best program in the world, but if they don't believe in it and they don't like you, they're probably going to go out and lose. But then if if they if they love you and they feel like Superman, they'll probably go out and win. It's just. I think the biggest challenge is is trying to get both of them at the same time. Get a program, yeah. get a program that they believe in. Yeah. But also one that you you believe in 100% as well and then uh, you know just I suppose don't lose perspective of what you're doing because certain coaches out there it's you know they're the reason their teams win and when they lose it's the players fault but you know we beat South Africa one week for the first time in 50 years and I was a genius yeah. and then you know the week after we lost and I was I was back to being normal again. <laughs> How did that week feel? Mate, that winning ne- week. Never, never let the highs get you too high. Never let the lows get you too low. <laughs> you know the boys. The boys. Um, the boys had dinner. They they were allowed to have ice cream with their dinner, and then they went home. That was it. <laughs> Two scoops or three? Oh, I think it depends on whether in the front row or not. But you know, we're, keep, we're keeping trying to keep our focus on like the World Cup, obviously. So yeah, most definitely. So yeah, mate, we'll see how it goes. 